0: So this evening we're looking at the priesthood of all believers, and uh, I've got a question to start with. I don't want you to answer out loud, but just to think it through. Do Protestants have priests? Do Protestants have priests? One of the defining marks of churches since the Reformation is that we don't have priests, or at least we might not do. We'll see in a second. I occasionally get asked when I sort of introduce myself. I say that I'm a pastor. And when I explain that that's nothing to do with spaghetti or or anything like that, uh, I normally have to explain a bit what that is. And sometimes I'm asked, well, does that mean that you're a priest? Is Is a church worker in a Protestant church a priest? And what's the answer? Well, it's more tricky than you might think. Are pastors priests? Well, the shocking answer that we'll see this evening is yes. Yes, they are. Pastors are priests. But perhaps the more shocking answer, though, is that so are you. In fact, all believers are priests, whether they're pastors or not. And this evening, we're going to talk about the priesthood of all believers. That's everyone who believes. The fact that you are in Christ means that you are a priest. So we're going to see what that looks like and what that means in practice. And to do that, I need you to get your image that you've probably got in your head of priests out of your head. You've probably got something like this. That's Father's head if you're into uh, that sort of thing, but uh, it's probably what you think about when you hear the word priest, that's what you, you think about, but I need you to get that out of your head. This is not really what the Bible has in mind when it talks about priests. So to help us think this through, we're going to look at what the Bible says about these things, and also how the New Testament applies, what the Old Testament says. So to start with, uh, we're going to look at the Old Testament, so Old Testament Priests. Now, Old Testament priests have three big areas of duty temple teaching and intercession. That's as closest I could get to a three the same uh, same letter. Temple teaching and intercession. These things were done by the Levites, especially the descendants of Aaron, uh, the Levite, who was the first high priest. The first duty was to do with temple or tabernacle before it. The priests were there to care for the temple and tabernacle. When it was the tabernacle, they used to carry it physically on their shoulders. They used to make sure that there was showbread there. They used to look after the lamps and things like that inside the temple. But their main duty revolved around sacrifices. In the Old Testament law, as we heard when we had Leviticus in 20 minutes just a few weeks ago, not just anyone could rock up to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Only priests could offer a sacrifice. Indeed, even kings got in trouble when they did so. So King Saul gets in trouble for offering sacrifices because he was not a priest. King Uzziah burns incense in the temple and is struck with leprosy. Because despite his seeming zeal and devotion, he was not allowed to do that in the temple because he wasn't a priest. All the five different kinds of sacrifice that we saw in Leviticus were all to be eaten by the priests. Only one of them was actually shared with the worshipper, which was the peace offering, the fellowship offering. The priest literally lived off the sacrifices that were given. That was his portion. One day in a year, Yom Kippur, the high priest, would come into God's presence to bring in the blood from the sacrifices and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And only a priest could offer uh, those things, and only a priest could approach God in that way. So the priest will link with the temple and the sacrifices. Second, though, they were also linked with teaching, and I think this one's often overlooked. So in Deuteronomy thirty-three, Moses declares uh, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you uh, and burn offerings on your altar. So they were to teach God's law, the rules, to Jacob. In two Chronicles fifteen, the chronicle mourns the fact that for a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest. That's what upsets him about what's going on. There's no priest teaching. In 2 Chronicles 31, Hezekiah implements reforms to allow the Levites to, quote, give themselves the law of the Lord. In Micah, the priests are criticising for teaching for money. He's not criticising them for teaching. It's for taking money to do it. So he's criticising them for when the Israelites returned from the exile, it's Ezra the priest who stands up to teach the law in Nehemiah 8. And the other Levites helped the people understand the law and gave its meaning so that people could understand what was being read. That's partly why they were spread amongst the people, so that they could teach. So that's the second thing that was involved with teaching. The third thing was intercession. They were to pray for and bless the people. Speaking to people for God, and God for the people. So were to bless the people in number 6. After Hezekiah's reforms, they bless and pray for the people. We see again and again Samuel praying for the people. And we see Moses praying on behalf of the people in the wilderness. Part of the priestly duty was intercession. And that meant the priests were an important part of the life of the nation. Indeed, when God inaugurates the nation of Israel in Exodus 19, so to speak, he speaks of them as a kingdom of priests. Listen to this from Exodus 19. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to my side. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what they were to be, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But we don't live in the nation of Israel, do we? We don't live in the Old Testament. So what happens next? Well, next we see Christ. Our great high priest. Christ, our great high priest. Christ comes into the world as king, yes, as prophet, yes, but also as our great high priest. We often speak of him more probably of those other ones, unless we're doing a book like Hebrews. We speak of him as King Jesus. We don't tend to speak of him as priest Jesus. It just doesn't sort of flow off the tongue as well, does it? But if you want more information about this, please read the book of Hebrews. Um, We don't have time to teach the whole book. We'll have to wait until we do Hebrews in 20 minutes. That's going to be fun. Uh, Sometime uh, next year, probably. But we see these same themes in the life of Christ that we see in the, the lives of the priests in the Old Testament. Temple. So let's go to Ephesians rather than Hebrews. Ephesians 5, verse 2. This is what it says. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ offered himself to God as a sacrifice. And as we read, only a priest can offer a sacrifice. How is he a priest when he was from Judah, not from Levi? Well, he was a different order of priests, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, as was prophesied in the Psalms. So he was a sacrifice. And again, I think we're quite familiar with that idea that Christ offers himself as a sacrifice. So he's involved in temple. He was also involved in teaching. I mean, it almost doesn't need a section, does it? If people don't believe who Jesus really is, they still think that he's a good teacher don't there. They refer to things like the Sermon on the Mount. They look at his teaching, which even if you're not a Christian, people still accept that it's amazing teaching. Jesus was known as a Bible teacher, known as someone who explained the Scriptures as he expounded the law. But that was a priestly duty. That was one of the things that he was doing. And then intercession. We see the high priestly prayer, don't we, in John 17. And also we read that he now intercedes for us in heaven. So Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. And who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. And is praying for us. He's continuing that priestly duty in that sense. And ultimately, Jesus is that Holy One from Exodus 19. He is God's treasured possession. He is the king. He is the priest. But what about us? Well, finally, New Testament priests. That same language from Exodus 19 is repeated about the New Testament church. We heard it in Steve's reading 1 Peter 2 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Do you see how that echoes the language of Exodus 19 as it's brought into the New Testament? We now as believers are a royal priesthood. All of us as believers. Sir John Calvin in his Institutes writes, In Christ we are all priests, but to offer praises and thanksgivings, in short to offer ourselves and ours to God. if you don't like John Calvin, Martin Luther said the same. The priest is not made, he said. He must be born a priest, must inherit his office. I refer, of course, to the new birth. The birth of water and spirit. Thus all Christians become priests, children of God, and co-heirs with Christ, the Most High Priest. So we actually are priests. That's who we are as believers. And that means that we share those same three duties. Temple. As Calvin put it, we don't offer animal sacrifices. Not you, Calvin, sorry. just <laughs> We don't offer animal sacrifices, we offer ourselves. So Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is true worship. That is the big picture of priesthood for the believer. We lay down our lives daily as an offering, and that involves all sorts of things, doesn't it? As we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, it involves giving. So, Philippians four eighteen, Paul writes, "I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent—a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God." There he views their financial giving as part of the sacrifice that they offer. That's why we call it taking up an offering, don't we? Uh, when we, well, used to do that years ago. We just have a box now. Second way that it shows itself is in praise. So Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. It says, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Part of the priestly duty we skipped over a little bit was as they looked after the temple... They were supposed to be involved in the praise that was brought there. Now we are involved in the praise, all of us. We do it in word and in song. We do it in doing good and sharing. So the very next verse, do not uh, neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That is what we do. That's one of the ways we offer ourselves as sacrifices, by doing good to our brothers and sisters and to all. But it's not just the author of Hebrews and Paul that looks at these things this way. 1 Peter again, verse 5, 2 verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The whole of our life is now offered to God in priestly service. And all of us now are in God's service, whether we have a title like pastor or elder or deacon or not. All of us are in God's work, aren't we? All of us have to be at work, serving the Lord at home, at church, at work. You see, one of the things that Christ does here is he breaks down the spiritual, secular divide. And it's not that everything becomes secular, it's that everything, in a way, becomes spiritual. There's no clergy-laity divide anymore, not because everybody's laity. Actually, because we're all ministers, we're all clergy. That's what happens all are priests, all our ministers. So all of us are involved in that work of offering ourselves. The second one follows as you'd expect teaching. If we're all ministers, then we all have some role in teaching. So Colossians three sixteen: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Or Romans 15, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see how Paul links those two together, even just within those few verses? And in Ephesians we're told that we're to build up one another in love. That's the way that the body grows. That's the way the temple grows. As all of us play our part. There are teachers, there are pastors. But their job is to equip churches, equip believers to do the building. They are not the main source of ministry. Actually it's supposed to be from one another. So if you like, they're teachers with a capital T. But all of us are supposed to be teachers with a small t. So are we joining in the ministry in that sense? Are we seeking to teach one another? Are we seeking to encourage one another? And then finally, intercession. As Christ prays for us, so we are to pray for others. We're to offer intercessory prayers, that's prayers for other people. So 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, this is what Paul writes. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, the kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Or James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And if you read Paul's letters, he's always praying for other people, isn't he? He's always telling them how he's remembering them in his prayers. So do we do that work if we're priests, which we are? Do we do that work of a priest? Do we pray for one another? Do we intercede for one another? Pastors should pray for a congregation, yes. Elders should pray for the flock, yes. But so should every believer. The Bible teaches us that we're all involved. There are no spectators... We are all part of the body, and we're all needed for the effort. The world needs priests. And bizarrely, as Protestants, it turns out that we've actually got more priests than the Roman Catholics, because all of us are priests. Not with silly hats, unless you count some members who do come in silly hats. No, not singly Richard out there. (laughs) Not in frocks, unless you're a woman in evening attire. But it's about laying down our lives as sacrifices for our brothers and sisters. It's about us teaching one another. It's about us praying for one another. So how could you be a better priest? How could I be a better priest this week? How could we be better priests tonight? There's an opportunity after food to share, to encourage one another, to pray. What a wonderful way to start putting that into practice. To minister to one another, to teach one another, to pray for one another. Could it be that God is laying something on your heart to share tonight? Well, we're going to share in that in a few moments' time. But before that, we're going to eat and pray and sing, though not necessarily in that order. Uh, We're going to sing, uh, first of all. Though we were undeserving, Christ died to wash us clean. And then we'll pray for the food. And then we'll share some food around the table. So let's stand and sing.